And uh, it's lovely to be here. Uh, very happy Father's Day to you. Uh, I was just seeing um, Joe at the back with Phoebe just now. Uh, and that's, that's a, the answer to every father's prayer, that his, uh, his children would marry a godly spouse and look after their children in that tender way. It's just a, a tender little moment for us. And that's how God looks after us. And we're helpless sometimes, like Phoebe is. Uh, can't do anything for herself yet. Uh, except pretend to smile at me, but uh, <laughs> I'm just imagining it. But uh, we're helpless, and God provides everything for us. So it's so beautiful uh, what Simeon was sharing earlier. God provides for us everything that we need, and we'll see that uh, in a moment. And uh, we're in Acts right at the end of chapter 22, if you want to turn there. Um, we'll see um, that, that God... God speaks wonderfully to us because uh, Callum came and spoke about God working in the darkness and that's a point I wanted to bring out this morning. And God's so, it's so precious when God speaks like that and then uh, you think, oh, that's a point here, <laughs> what I'm going to be speaking about. So the point of that is not to say, you know, Callum's great for bringing that word or, you know, what a happy coincidence. God wants to underline something for us here and... Uh, uh, it's about him working in the darkness, and we'll see that in a moment. So if you'd like to turn with me to at the end of Acts chapter 22, it's verse 30, and we're going to uh, read down to um, uh, verse 24 uh, in the following chapter. The next day, since the commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews, you remember there's been a riot and uh, uh, Paul, Paul's been sort of arrested, the commander released him and ordered the chief priests and all the Sanhedrin to assemble. And he brought Paul and had him stand before them. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I've fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. At this point, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. And then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You said, <laughs> this is friendly exchange, isn't it? <laughs> You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Those who were standing near Paul said, You dare to insult God's high priest? Paul replied, Brothers, I didn't realize that he was the high priest, for it is written, Do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. Then Paul, it's a crafty move by Paul here, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, My brothers, I'm a Pharisee. The son of a Pharisee, I stand on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. And when he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say there's no resurrection, and that there are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. There was a great uproar, and some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously, we find nothing wrong with this chap. They said, what if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? And the dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down, take him away from them by force, and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you've testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Well, the next morning, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they'd killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot and they went to the chief priests and elders and said, we've taken a solemn oath not to eat anything till we've killed Paul. 
Now then, you and the Sanhedrin petition the commander to bring him before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about his case. We're ready to kill him before he gets here. But when the son of Paul's sister heard of this plot, he went into the barracks and he told Paul. So Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the commander. He's got something to tell him. So he took him to the commander. And the centurion said, Paul, the prisoner, sent for me and asked me to bring you this man uh, this young man because he's got something to tell you so the commander took the young man by the hand drew him aside and said what is it you want to tell me he said the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul before the Sanhedrin tomorrow on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about him don't give in to them because more than 40 of them are waiting in ambush for him they've taken an oath not to eat or drink until they've killed him they're ready now waiting for your consent to their request the commander dismissed the young man and cautioned him, don't tell anyone that you've reported this to me. Then he called two of his centurions and ordered them, get ready of a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at nine o'clock tonight. Provide mounts for Paul so that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. And we'll leave it there. Let's just pray. Father, thank you for this it's a real testimony uh, of what was happening, almost uh, eyewitness testimony. Father, thank you that we have this testimony 2,000 years later and that you want to speak to us through it. So I pray that you'd uh, open up from this piece of scripture those points which you want us to hear today. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, another riot. Paul must be getting used to this by now. And... Um, uh, what can we learn from this passage? Well, the first point I wanted to, to make, and it's in, in the notes that I've made, and I showed Callum this before he went out, God works in the night. We've seen uh, in, the, uh, in this little passage of scripture that um, uh, after, after the, uh, the day's uh, fuss before the Sanhedrin, it says in verse 11, the following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage. As you've testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. So it's the middle of the night, and we had a little testimony last week, didn't we, about uh, uh, anxious waking up in the night, um, thoughts buzzing through our minds. I've been there myself, I'm sure many of us have, and uh, about how that anxiety was replaced by trust when we call out, Lord, uh, please be with me in this. And God speaks to us sometimes. The testimony last week was God said, just trust me. And uh, so this is, this is for us, this, this little bit of scripture, this, this truth that we can trust God in the darkness, in the night. And there are some other examples of this in, uh, uh, in Acts uh, and elsewhere. So um, in Acts 16, do you remember uh, Paul and Silas? They're in prison um, in, uh, in Philippi. It says about midnight, so it's, when it's dark, Paul and Silas were praying, singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them, probably thinking, <laughs> I wish they'd be quiet, I'd like to get to sleep. <laughs> anyway, they're singing some hymns, praising God. And suddenly there's such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison are shaken. At once all the doors fly open, everyone's chains fall off. <laughs> the jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword. He was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouts, don't worry, don't kill yourself, we're all here. It's the middle of the night, it's dark, there's no prospect of any help. Suddenly God intervenes wonderfully 
and transforms the situation. In a minute, uh, you know, the scripture goes on to say that uh, the jailer and all his family uh, are saved, they're baptized. Uh, there's a wonderful testimony that comes out of that. So not only Paul and Silas are released from uh, captivity, but the jailer and his whole family are saved. It's the middle of the night, it's midnight, one o'clock in the morning, you know, what's going on? God's at work, folks, in the dark. In this passage today, uh, in Acts chapter 23, we see God working in the night. He's, it's, it's the middle of the night and Paul, Paul is, he's, he's, you know, perhaps he's tossing and turning, thinking, what's gonna happen, what's next? God speaks to him and brings him this wonderful word saying, uh, as you uh, have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. So God's sharing something of his purposes, but he's also, so important this, saying, I'm with you. Jesus said, I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. God's with Paul there in the darkness. He's in captivity again. Uh, you know, perhaps, he's, perhaps he's got more faith now uh, that God will do something, but it, it's no sign of anything happening. And suddenly God speaks to him in the middle of the night. And God hasn't left him. He hasn't abandoned him. He's, he's right there with him. And we can feel like this, can't we, sometimes? Not just in the middle of the night, but we, we look around and think, I can't see a way forward. God is with us. He hasn't abandoned us. He's right there with us and will speak to us. Perhaps the most powerful example of this is the resurrection of Jesus himself. In John chapter 20, verse 1, it says, Early on the first day of the week, so this is the day of the resurrection, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. God didn't wait for the dawn, <laughs> didn't wait for the daylight. He was working there in the dark to raise Jesus, his son, beautifully from the dead. That's the core of our hope, isn't it? That, that we share both in the death and the resurrection of Jesus if we put our trust in him. This is the gospel, folks, that uh, we, we put our trust in Jesus and when we're baptized, we're baptized into his death, but we're also raised like, like Jesus is raised from the dead. That's a figurative a picture of our sharing in Jesus' death and his resurrection. And that's a powerful moment when Jesus is raised from the dead. And Paul refers to this in Ephesians. He says uh, to the Ephesians, as well, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, that's us as well today, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted in the middle of the night, folks, when it was dark. That mighty strength which he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority. This is... It's in the middle of the night and God's at work doing the most mighty thing, the most wonderful thing, the most glorious thing that uh, informs and is the foundation for our faith. Uh, I was reading, I read through the Bible each year and um, uh, in Isaiah at the moment, uh, chapter 50 verse 10 says, who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let the one who walks in the dark and who has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. Sometimes God's stretching our faith when it's dark and we can't see. 
You know, when, when we've got resources at hand, when we've, when we've got the answers in our own hands, we tend not to rely very much on God because everything's there for us. And we are blessed, aren't we? Most, for the most part, we've got all that we need. We've got, uh, we've got clothes, we've got a roof over our heads. We're wonderfully blessed. And yet God brings us to this place of darkness sometimes expressly so that he can demonstrate that he is trustworthy and we should be trusting him in that time. When Jonah's swallowed by the fish, he's in the dark. When Daniel's in the lion's den, he's in the dark, isn't he? When Jesus is shut in the tomb, he's in the dark. Paul is blinded on the road to Damascus, he's in the dark. And yet God comes through for them wonderfully. And it's when we're in the dark that we learn to trust God. It's not that it's dark where he is, of course. He's the one who's able to say, let there be light, right there at the start of the scripture. He's the one who, at the end of the scripture in Revelation, there's no subject as being the light for, uh, for, for the city of God. There's no, there's no sun or moon or stars because God himself and Jesus provide the light. So it's not dark where he is, folks. It might be dark where we are, but it's a moment for us to put our trust in Jesus when it's dark and to prove him. Then uh, we can see that help comes when it's dark. Help comes in many different ways. And sometimes God will speak to us in the dark and say, trust me. And that's, that's, a, that's a beautiful personal moment. But it comes in lots of different ways. I went to a funeral this week at the cathedral. And um, it was a funeral for a guy who'd been an archdeacon in the, in the Church of England. And the people there. And his son uh, gave a little talk and, and he told that, a joke about the man who's trapped in a flood and he finds himself on the roof of his house and he's, he's a devout Christian so he prays, Lord save me and after a bit you know, a boat comes along and says uh, would you like a hand down? No, no, he says I'm waiting for God to save me and uh, so the boat goes away a bit later another, uh, another lifeboat comes along and says can we, can, we, can we take you away? No, no, he says I'm waiting for the Lord to save me and the water's rising gradually and then the boat goes away, and then a helicopter comes along. Come on, it's your last chance. Grab hold of the ladder. No, no, he says, I'm waiting for God to save me. And then, of course, the waters rise, and he's swept away with the house and everything. So you get to the gates, and, uh, of course, he says, uh, St. Peter, uh, what happened there? I, I, you know, I was praying. I was praying. I was waiting for God to save me, and, and I, was, I was washed away. Well, St. Peter says, we sent you a boat, and then we sent you another boat, and we sent you a helicopter. What more do you want? You know. So uh, there's, there's lots of different ways in which God will help us. So here, uh, Paul is helped because the word of God comes to him in the night. That's, that's nourishment to him. That's food and drink to him. That's sustaining, not only because it reassures him that God's with him and for him, but also he's giving him some next steps. Now, Paul, of course, knew that he was going to go on to Rome. Uh, he, 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 that was clear. But uh, God is reminding him now, you've been such a one you've been faithful, you've been obedient in that. Rome's next. And it's just such a wonderful, sustaining thing. Then a, a nephew of Paul's helps him because he, he goes and shares the, uh, the information about the plot against Paul. Uh, he goes to the, the centurion and, uh, uh, and shares that with him and uh, takes, takes it to the commander. And so that's a means of help. And it doesn't matter how old or young we are, we can be used in God's purposes to help one another. And... Uh, uh, here, we're, we're, there's a real track record, a testimony of faithful help for one another. I know last night that folks were babysitting for one another, and, uh, and uh, there, there was help. There's help 
uh, weekly here. Uh, and however old or young or frail or strong we may be, uh, we, we can be used to help others. And God, God loves that. And then, of course, uh, as though a nephew were not enough, uh, there's a whole cohort of soldiers. So nearly 500 soldiers are, are deputized to take Paul to a place of safety. So, uh, you know, God, God, God can move in small ways. Sometimes he moves in enormous impressive ways, like the trooping of the color. You know, right, we're going to take all these soldiers off to, uh, to Caesarea with you. And there's lots of practical help right here in this room. Sometimes God uses others to help us. But Father is exactly what we need and he gives it to us. In Matthew 6.32, our Heavenly Father knows what we need. We don't have to worry about it because he will provide for us. And Philippians 4 verse 19, how God will meet all our needs uh, out of his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He knows what we need. He's going to meet them. And he causes all things to work together for our goods. Romans 8.28. And Maybe he's underlining that point there for us. <laughs> he causes all things to work together for good uh, for, uh, uh, for those who love the Lord. And uh, he, he brings help to us in lots of different ways. So let, let's, let's be alert to the help that he's giving. Let's not be like Ruth who misses <laughs> the obvious help that's provided, but, but receive it with thanks. And then God brings about his purposes. Uh, he was clear that he had to go to Jerusalem but uh, he, he knew that because the Holy Spirit had confirmed it already to him uh, on a number of occasions. He knew that he would be imprisoned there as well. Uh, but he was inflexible in his obedience to God. So he was, he was committed to, uh, to working with God. But God, God brings his purposes around. So uh, Paul, Paul's now moved from Jerusalem to Caesarea with the soldiers. And actually, they stay there for about two years. We'll, we'll see over the next couple of weeks that... Um, uh, the, the various people come through and Paul has an opportunity to speak to uh, but, and uh, we think oh another, another you know, speech from Paul uh, but he's there for about two years and it's while they're there that Luke writes the, the gospel uh, according to St. Luke that's, that's where he does that so there's, there's a bit of space there God provides some space for some wonderful things to happen Paul speaks to some, some quite impressive people the Roman uh, governor the, the rulers there the sort of client rulers who come through uh, so he's speaking to some, some quite impressive, influential people. Uh, but he's also, he, he's also space for Luke, his colleague, to, to write down this wonderful testimony uh, of the life of Jesus. And maybe he writes some of the book of Acts there as well, we don't know. But um, there's a, they're there for about two years. So God's bringing about his purposes there. These are far-reaching purposes because we've still got that account here, the book of Luke. And then, of course, uh, we'll see later on that uh, they, they go off by ship to Rome. Um, they, they reach various places, uh, get to Malta. The gospel is shared there. So uh, we, we see God's purposes being worked out. And he ends up in Rome. Uh, we see at the end, of the, um, uh, the end of the book. He'd wanted to go there. That was his own plan as well. Acts 19 tells us that. But he ends up in uh, the imperial household. He's in captivity but uh, he's got an opportunity to speak to all the guards there. Everybody, uh, what's happened to the word of God there? And he says uh, in Philippians 1, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. In other words, God's purposes are being worked out through, uh, through what for Paul are some quite challenging circumstances. He says, as a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. So 
uh, and then it goes on, uh, others are encouraged to share the gospel because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters, not, not all of them, but most of them have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So God's purposes are being worked out through uh, this captivity worked out, period of uh, being transported from Caesarea through to Rome. So God's purposes are work, worked out. Now, Paul had got choices. He could at any, any moment said, uh, well, <laughs> thanks God, I've had enough of being in prison and being beaten up and stoned and uh, shipwrecked and all this stuff. You know, uh, uh, and, and he, he, could have, he, could have, he could have said no. He writes to the, the Corinthians and the secondly, he says all the things that have happened to him. And you know, it's a pretty gruesome uh, history. Uh, and you could quite have understood if he'd said, actually, I think I'll go back to being you know, uh, a teacher or tent making or something and have a quiet life. But he's, he's committed to God's purposes. And uh, he has choices to make. He chooses to be obedient to God. So, for example, in, uh, in Acts 9, uh, he, 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 where we first encounter him, uh, meeting with God, and he's, he's struck blind on the road to Damascus, and he's told what to do. He says, uh, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for... Uh, uh, ask, ask for uh, um, oh, sorry, this is Ananias. Uh, He's, he's been told to, to go there and, and meet with Paul. Paul. Paul has gone there in obedience to God and uh, he, he gets his sight back because <laughs> he, he's been obedient to God. And Acts 13, we see there are five of them. They're in leadership in Antioch, comfortable. The church is, well, I've got some things are going well, but the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me uh, Barnabas and Saul. I've got some work which I've called them to. So off they go on their first missionary journey. And then uh, having experienced riots in all the towns they visit and setbacks, Paul says in, in uh, chapter 15, verse 36, let's go back and visit the believers in all these towns. <laughs> he could have said, let's avoid those places. Those, those are difficult. But he planted some churches there. So he goes back and he encourages uh, those churches uh, to see how they're doing. And then following uh, chapter Acts 16, uh, you remember he gets to the border of Mycenae to try to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow them to, so they passed by. Again, during the night, Paul has a vision of a man of Macedonia saying, come over. So he takes that as being from God. Again, during the night, God's at work. And they go off to Macedonia and Greece and uh, share the gospel there. Acts, Acts 18, one night again, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Don't be afraid, keep on speaking. Don't be silent, I'm with you. So he stays in Corinth for a year and a half, even though you know, he's getting some opposition there. He stays and shares the gospel. And then Acts 20, he's compelled by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. He doesn't, he doesn't shy away from that. He knows he'll be imprisoned, but he goes because he wants to be obedient to God. So we see him obediently responding to God's directions. There's a real cost for Paul. He gives up what had been a promising career and gives everything to God. He's unhesitating. So just to, to recap, God works in the night. Let's trust him. When things look a bit dark, that's just when God wants to speak to us and reassure us. He wants, to, he wants us to be putting our trust in him at that difficult moment, just when things look at their worst. We can't see what's going on, but God sees it all. He hasn't left us. He's with us. He's right there. will speak to us in those moments. Secondly, help comes in all sorts of ways. Maybe through folks in this room, 
maybe from other sources, let's not miss the help which uh, God sends to us or be too uh, restrictive in our imagination of how God might help us. We might just think, if only I had some more money, God would help me. Maybe he's got some other plan to help you, some other different way of helping you, which would be a real blessing. Thirdly, God will bring about his purposes. He's, he's committed to them. So uh, let's have confidence in that as we pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. Let's, let's be alert to hearing from God what his purposes are and be obedient to them. And that's the fourth point. Let's be obedient to God. I mentioned the, uh, the archdeacon uh, whose funeral I went to this week. And um, it was a time to great funeral uh, because it was full of faith. It was... It was He'd had time to prepare uh, the service before he died. He'd got cancer. He knew that he hadn't got long to go. And um, the scripture reading at the funeral was Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, which is the Great Commission. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now the, the person preached died at the uh, service uh, was, was a friend uh, of, of the guy who died. Uh, and he's, he's a, this chap was a bishop and he said, I, I've never heard, I've never been to a funeral where that passage of scripture was the scripture passage. Normally there's a bit about, you know, a hope uh, in the resurrection and that kind of thing. And Ian's life had been one committed to sharing the gospel with people. He'd, he, all his ministry as a, as a priest had been uh, in, uh, in the Church of England in this area. So he started off in Mattishaw, uh, had a time here in Ersham for a number of years. Then he went to Alton Broads, and then he became the archdeacon of the, the Tabat, which is the kind of north and west of the county. And his whole ministry was about sharing the gospel with folks and uh, wanting people to become Christians. Uh, he, he, um, he said he'd become a Christian. Uh, he, he told the guy who was, who was preaching at the funeral, he told him that uh, he, the guy who died, had become a Christian uh, at university at, uh, at Sheffield. And uh, he got all these plans. He'd, he'd, he'd been to a boys' school, and so he got all these plans of meeting loads of girls and having a wild time. And he said all his plans were ruined because, <laughs> because he'd become a Christian at, at university. Just, just a little reminder, we're right next door to you know, to see the here, and it's a great moment to speak into the lives of young men and women, uh, to, to see them saved. And uh, his, his whole heart was really for us, uh, his legacy for us was that we should that we should go and share the gospel with folks and uh, uh, that we should uh, appropriate this, this great commission. And so even if we don't have any immediate instructions from God about what to do, you know, we want to be obedient to God. Well, you know, uh, should I get up now? Should I, what, what clothes should I put on? Those things are trivial things. It's about what we do with our, with our hearts and our priorities and our, our time. And... If we want to be obedient to God, this is a great place to start with the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And there's a great promise with that. Surely I'm with you. <laughs> right to the end of the age, Jesus is with us. So 
it's a great legacy for us to appropriate that we might be obedient. And this is a great, if we haven't got anything else that, that's a specific instruction from God to us, this is a great general instruction to be following on a day-to-day basis. Let's pray, Ed and Karis, uh, if you could come and sing again. Thank you. Father, thank you so much for this kind of eyewitness testimony from 2,000 years ago. It's still kind of fresh, and there are some, some beautiful encouragements here to us. I pray, Lord, that, uh, that we would be encouraged even in the middle of the night, even when things look black, even when we can't see, to know that you're there with us, that we would lean into you at that moment and put our whole trust in you, knowing that you uh, have got that situation for us, that we needn't be anxious because you love us. Father, I pray that uh, uh, we look around and find help as we put trust purpose in you. But I pray that we'd be obedient to you, that we might see your kingdom come, see your purposes come to pass in our own lives and through our own ministry. Father, in Jesus' name, amen.